Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly eeky squeak with me, Christian Cello. Uh, you join me, I'm recording in the afternoon, I'm just having my afternoon coffee here, and my, um, I don't know, <laughs> Cthulhu mug, sort of, Cthulhu man, doesn't really work, Vesuvius Cthulhu, Vesuvius, is that right? Vesuvian, I think, Vesuvian, maybe. How is everybody? Um, I took a slight break past week or so, just because I was confirming a lot of interviews and I kind of wanted to wait until I had those interviews confirmed and then go ahead. And now I have a lot of interviews lined up, actually. So it's going to be a packed couple of months now with a lot of interviews with people from all sorts of technical walks of life. Um, this episode, I have Matt Billman from Netlify back on the show. I think he's been on at least once before, talking about the state of Jamstack, what Netlify have been up to. And a whole bunch of other things around kind of the future of, of, of content delivery on the web. I do apologize. It is now getting to, I was looking out the window. It's now getting to the period, the season of Berlin gloom. And I'm not in the record. I have two recording streaming locations and I'm in home location today. And I don't have lights here. I just have my desk light, which is not great, but it's very, very gloomy today. In fact, the cat is. So comfortable in the gloomy winter, it's nearly falling off of its perch. Anyway, let's get to my links for the week. So there's actually been quite a few interesting things the past few weeks, but I've sort of stripped down to some of the most recent. Um, here's one on ZDNet from Zorm. Zorm? Zorm? Who is Zorm? Zoom launching Zaps on Zoom, building out its ecosystem. I've actually just come from the past three days of um, helping run an online conference. We used Hopin. I'm actually surprised it's taken Zoom this long to kind of do this properly. And the Zaps, the apps on Zoom, uh, the name I really don't like. And I wonder if Zapier will have any problems with And the Zaps with 1P. I wonder if uh, they're going to have any issues with that. Uh, could be interesting. We shall see. Um, but yeah, they've offered a lot of kind of integration. It's interesting this really puts Zoom into a bit more of a Microsoft Teams territory and Google Meets territory, where previously they just did video very well, but not much else kind of thing. And now they're adding a lot of other things and we'll see how well that plays out. They are a company that very much got thrust into the limelight um, without really being ready for it. <laughs> so we'll see. And then they have uh, yeah, on Zoom, which is the virtual events and content monetization. It's also good for people like me. Um, Zoom has some features I have been looking into. I should look further into these on Zoom features, for, especially for uh, streaming. Um, I've been using mostly a combination of Restream and Remotely, uh, depending what I'm trying to do. But those two add up to be quite expensive. Zoom does have some features that those two platforms have, but... It's then quite expensive and it doesn't give you the quality of video I want, especially for recording. So I'm still sort of figuring out um, whether maybe it will be worth me switching to Zoom for some of these. I'm not sure. Um, and especially when I share links to those other platforms, they're not known platforms uh, where Zoom is. And that somewhat helps, strangely. And I forgot to mention at the top, this article was by Larry Dignan um, from ZDNet. Next, one from a couple of weeks back, uh, actually the end of September, but I really loved this article so much, I really wanted to share it with you. This is on The Verge from uh, Chris Harland Dunaway. 
Uh, Hype Man of the Century is a fascinating story about Justin's son. Um, now, <laughs> I have a story, a little bit of a story here, where I was working much more in the crypto space last year and the very beginning of this year, predominantly in the Ethereum space. And Tron, which is what Justin's son is behind, uh, was, I don't know, it was strange. Back last year, he was almost like a bit of a joke figure because he was just, well, the company in general was so big on hyping what they were doing. And we were, I don't know, we were always a little bit unsure about what was really behind it. Um, but they did very well financially. And then he acquired BitTorrent, which is kind of interesting. And this article sort of talks about why he might have done that. His attitude to work, this kind of fusing of uh, American work culture and Chinese work culture and all sorts of things. This actually reminded me a lot of a podcast I recommended, I think, last year on the podcast uh, called The Missing Crypto Queen. Um, yeah, just to show there's still a lot of these very high profile. Uh, I don't necessarily want to say scam artist. The Missing Crypto Queen definitely was. Justin Sun. Maybe just is not necessarily so much of a con, but just trying to build technology for technology's sake kind of thing. Decentralize everything. The article actually covers this quite nicely. It's a fairly long article about, you know, that um, just because you can decentralize it, should you? Decentralizing technology is quite hard. Uh, and the, the problems the engineers were having with that and, and things like that and you know, the cultural differences and things. But then him as a person is also just absolutely fascinating um, just, yeah, the lifestyle he leads and things like that. Uh, it's a fascinating article. Uh, again, much like the uh, Missing Crypto Queen, but if it, you're like, is this fiction or fact? It's hard to tell. <laughs> Coming back down to reality a little bit, this is actually an article from the Berliner Zeitung, one of the Berlin newspapers, but in their English content section, um, from uh, Jochen Noblach. Uh, who really owns Berlin's startups? And this is quite interesting. So unsurprisingly, um, SoftBank is one of those. And this is almost the criticism here. And it's been a criticism of startups in Germany, but especially Berlin for some time, that German venture capital, local venture capital, is too slow and too conservative and has too little money to invest in Berlin startups. So many end up looking overseas. And is this a good thing? Uh, and... So yeah, so funds in the US, UK, which is at least vaguely European, and Asia invest way more. Um, so Omeo, which is a booking platform, used to be called Go Euro, just got in 100 million from investors in Sweden, that's relatively local, Singapore and Silicon Valley. And I think um, they were mentioning here that, that um, most German investors would never even think about investing that kind of money. Uh, and they also got 150 million from Tencent. Tencent are kind of almost keeping up in my mind with SoftBank in terms of these very strategic, quiet investments, large investments. <laughs> um, and you sort of wonder if they're slowly taking over without, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, and it mentions here that the UK and French investors are actually far better. This is sort of um, somewhat, unfortunately, somewhat expected. With uh, German investment, German investment tends to be conservative. Um, and Berlin got over half, actually, no, probably pretty much just about half, 6.2 billion that went to German startups. Berlin got 3.7 uh, 
and it only represents uh, one-fifth of the population, which is interesting. So yeah, if, if you're interested in some kind of more hyper-local investments outside of the well-known areas and the uh, Silicon Alley, as we call it here, then uh, have a read of that. Next uh, kind of strange, tangential, but interesting article on PC Mag from um, hmm, oh, Matthew Humphreys. This is talking, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago that Microsoft uh, submerged this deep sea data center. Well, they've retrieved it after two years, declaring, and this is basically to take advantage of the, the cooling of the, the sea for free because data centers are very hot. And um, they dropped 12 racks off the coast of Scotland's Orkney Islands, which is quite cold, 864 servers. And I think um, it was successful. They just wanted to experiment and they will see what happens next. I don't know if the infrastructure supporting the network coming out of the um, the data center on, in the sea is sort of outweighs the cost savings. Who knows? But that's kind of the point of the article. And I found it interesting to see what they will do in the future. Next is an article from Jay Hoffman on CSS tricks. Probably normally something you're used to referring to for CSS advice. This is a really fascinating series of articles. And this is chapter four, search on the history of the web. Actually, I should go back and read some of the past ones. Um, if you, you are quite new to the internet, you won't remember Names like Lycos, Alta Vista, Yahoo even. <laughs> you just know Google and what has come post-Google, almost as a counter to Google. And this is a really trip down memory lane, especially for me. I think I used to use Lycos a lot. I think that was my main one. Uh, maybe some others about how we got here. And I think there was it the last season of Horton Catch Fire also covered this kind of this era. It's quite fascinating. You know me. I love computer history. And finally, um, an article on the Kramer, Kramer, Kramer blog. I think this is a person. So Kramer, I don't know. I should actually check what their name is. Let's have a quick look. Um, hmm, still not quite sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Kramer. Anyway, someone who works for Sentry uh, talking about an honest review of Gatsby. And this, I, this resonated a lot with me because I have found that everyone Wax is lyrical about Gatsby, but every time I've ever tried it, it just seems so insanely complicated for wanting to generate static documentation or static sites. And I remember the day I actually used to do a lot of work with Drupal. And the reasons I left it behind was because you were constantly battling against the framework. And that's why I love the pure, pure purity, 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 and and simpleness of static site generators. And when I tried Gatsby, I just felt like this is too much like going back to that. I have to know so much and unpick so much to do basic things. And I've always thought, am I alone here? <laughs> and uh, this is a very nice, honest review of the, the, having the same experience uh, from someone probably with much more technical knowledge than me. So I was reassured to know that I wasn't the only one. Okay, that was my links for the week. And now here's my interview with Matt Billman where we talk about the future of Jamstack, the current state of affairs of Jamstack, Netlify, static site generators. So a nice lead-in from the Gatsby article. Enjoy. So I'm Matt Billman. Uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Netlify. Uh, and Netlify is a platform that uh, web developers use to build and deploy the, the fastest sites. Um, so we are we're based on, around just this whole architectural idea 
of the Jamstack, this idea of like making the the front end presentation layer of of a website or a web application its own thing, and decoupling it completely from like the 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 traditional back end layer, right? Like as we've seen, the world sort of evolved towards a point where the back end layer itself is splitting into all these different APIs and services where some might be your own, but a lot of them are other people's services like Stripe or Algolia or the like. And at the same time, we've seen like this incredibly rapid pace of innovation in the in the front end space around all the different single page frameworks and site static site generators and build tools and so on. Um, that's really that's really made that whole part of the of the development experience become very much like its own speciality and its own field of 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 real software development, right? So we we saw that happening early on and decided well. If you're going to do that successfully, you'll need a platform that really supports that whole workflow sort of more end to end um, from anything from CICD to cloud hosting to serverless yeah. functions and so on. And Netify has been around for a bit of time. In fact, you've been on the show before at least once, maybe even twice, I can't remember. <laughs> or maybe someone else I spoke about with Jamstack. It's something that's very familiar to me. So we're not going to go into masses of detail of what Netlify is because we've done that before. Um, and I'll link to that previous episode, but more about what's been happening in the past, I guess, at least year. So I'm going to go back ever so slightly because I've selected a few nuggets from what you've been up to the past couple of months that I wanted to talk about. The interesting one, actually, that I think I came across this um, through something else that surprised me when I saw it in that um, the the kind of traditional opposite of something like Jamstack and Netlify was always um, traditional web stack, um, a database, some kind of interpretive programming language, et cetera. And um, as far as I can tell, you've actually started supporting some of those sites, <laughs> in- which I found interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mixture, right? Like, so... Um- Several years ago, uh, I guess back in 2017, we introduced the concept of Netlify functions, right? Which, mm. um, which was really seeing, like we saw AWS Lambda come out and then like Google functions, Azure functions and so on, right? And saw this space of th- this idea of, of serverless compute that sort of went a level further than, than containers, right? Like we're at the point, like, like we, we sort of have good old boxes of servers, right? Like mm. then virtual machine servers and then like Docker containers where you were still like essentially managing like a Linux distribution and installing packages and doing systems administration and security work and so on, right? But 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 you had more tools to like distribute and scale the containers. Um, it's still very complex, right? And then the serverless movement sort of really came to the point where it said, what, what if, what if, the infrastructure providers could really take all of that maintenance away from you and you really just choose your language runtime essentially, right? Mm. And then you just write code and it and it runs, right? And 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 that fit really well into this world of like front end web developers focusing on building user experiences and not on building um, infrastructure systems or, or the yeah. like, right? <laughs> um, at the same time when we saw those come along we also saw that they came with all their own complexity of management, right? Like now you have a front end and you have a completely different pipeline for deploying serverless functions. You have an 
you, you have your front-end CDN and then maybe you have an API gateway for your functions and you have to you have your CSD process for your front-end app but now maybe you need a different one for your functions and you need to get them to talk and so on right so we saw that that was kind of like that, that actually made it really hard for people to adopt in practice right hmm. So we came up with this idea of like, what if you could just have a folder with functions in your Git repository and it'll get deployed together with your front end and it's all just serverless, you, you just just write the code and that's it, right? And of course, that as a platform level also like opened up for like writing an express server and just serving out of that from a serverless function on, on Netlify, right? And we totally have, have people building applications in that way, right? We have a very flexible routing layer, so you can easily just route all traffic to a function if you want and, and build a, a monolithic app running in a Lambda function on Netlify. It's not what we encourage people to do because we don't generally think like that it's the, that it's the best um, way to build software, right? But, but it's totally possible. And then as we've gone along and learned more and more and, and sort of talked to our customer and, and listened to the user base and, and everything, right? We're, we're starting to, to, to learn more about like, okay, when you work with this Jamstack architecture, let's say you, you use functions more, more say we intend them to where you maybe write microservices or, or API endpoints and functions and you, and you talk to them from, from the front end. Like, mm. what, what are the patterns people build with? What are the things that, that, that people do? Um, and like one of the things we learned is that of course, Unless you do just fall back and build like essentially a monolithic application in your function and you just like build HTML and serve it, right? If, if you're still taking the Jamstack, a, a Jamstack approach, which again, we encourage people to do, we think it's better for the end users, right? Like you pre-build the initial app shell or the initial like content-driven website and you mm -hmm. push it to Netlify so it gets global distribution, it gets incredible fast, you get this very quick instant experience and then you would talk to services or functions for anything that after the like the first render needs to be interactive and and dynamic and so on right like that solves a lot of use cases but we started learning that there is also a set of cases where you need some form of like custom programming to happen during that initial request response cycle right those cases are typically things like personalization right like mm -hmm. you want to like you you might be able to to pre-build almost everything but you have some parts that needs to be on the fly personalized for the user right um they could be some sometimes they are things like um sometimes personalization can be linked to to location for example right like really common example is um large retailers right like you go to their website and if they know that you're visiting their website right next to one of their shops, it would make sense that the page you see on the like on the front of the website immediately have that shop instead of sort of having to go look for where where mm -hmm. where's where's the shop near me, right? Um, that kind of thing. Either you have to like really just serve an app shell and then wait and do it client side. Um, in some cases that's fine, but. There are also cases where if you can just program, like if you have already pre-built all these shop pages, right, and you can just program the layer that picks, like, this this per person is here, we have a shop close by, let's show the version or insert that shop into the page when we show it, right? Like, 
that that kind of use case starts becoming really like really interesting right so so that's why we currently announced like another compute layer right like we currently have the serverless functions layer and yeah. then we announced the edge handler layer that that runs in the request response cycle directly on the CDN edge nodes, right? Like, so really close to the user. Um, and again, like, the the other part I would say is that, like, when you talk about the traditional architecture with your database and so on, right? Like, again, you you can technically, like, put up an express server on, on Netlify with a function and, and run that, but it's not, like, we, we, we still think that that's, like, an outdated architecture. What we do mm. see is that people are building real full-fledged applications with Netlify, including ourselves, right? Like app.netlify.com has always been an, an app running on Netlify, right? Um, and, and once they start moving more in that direction, they also start needing different compute primitives, right? Like another one we just announced is background functions, right? For like tasks that doesn't fit into a request response cycle. So a bit the opposite of edge handlers, right? Like edge handlers is like there's some tasks that actually really need to run directly as part of the request response cycle. Edge handles are, are ideal for those. There's some tasks that can be in a request response cycle, but as API responses. And then there's some things that, that takes maybe multiple seconds or even minutes to do that you definitively don't want to do in any kind of request response cycle, right? So we launched mm -hmm. background workers for that. Um, and we are building, of course, more and more primitives for, for people to really like feel comfortable building full-fledged applications and, 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 and have an easy time doing it with the Jamstack approach. What I don't really see happening is like the old-fashioned, you know, I have my server and my database, right? Like that's what's sort of let, been fragmented, right? Like you start let, having let's, let's, just... Yeah, let, yeah, let's just because I think... My my question was going down one path. You went down another path. <laughs> yeah, but we're yeah. rejoining yeah. again. So let's let's yes. um, just roll back and, and um, so actually on the edge, the uh, edge handlers. Just to clarify, uh, and yeah, there's a there's a blog post here from, um, well, about a week ago, at time of recording, um, yeah. and those you write in the same way you add into the the functions folder. Yeah. Or is it, yeah okay. You, so you they, follow there's a separate processes. folder. That, there's a separate folder, right? Like just a folder mm -hmm. called edge handlers, and then a okay. folder for your okay. functions. But okay. the flow is the same, right? You just write them there. You push to get, yeah. and they're live. And you, you I, I think, because this is this has been the direction that Netlify has been going more and more in, mm -hmm. which makes a whole yeah. lot of sense in in um, handling. Uh, large-scale enterprise needs, which of course makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People like me Absolutely. and other developers on their side projects don't make a company income, so <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Um, but yeah, so and it's to 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 uh, the ability to uh, this sort of edge um, edge processing, edge computing is is a it's a somewhat vague term, but it just means um, that's overused, I think, at the moment. But to be able to 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 add comp compute where you need it in certain situations, yeah. as yeah. you say. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, I also so, say, like, yeah. I mean, you, you pointed out the enterprise segment, right? And it's very true that edge handlers as a, as a feature, like one of the big reasons we've invested so much in it has been talking to, to a lot of the large enterprise mm -hmm. customers and really understanding their needs, right? But I don't think it's, um, I, I think 
it's also just another primitive for the architecture where I think that even the community of developers and so on can, can figure out lots of interesting things to, to do with it because it essentially just gives you complete control over that routing layer, right? Like imagine you just want to do a, a, a full cloudinary integration <sighs> where yeah, yeah, any yeah. image, if you append a, a few query parameters, it gets resized by cloudinary, right? You can write that yeah. just as all of that logic. You can write just as an edge handler and put in your folder, right? And now you now you can just like automatically have the edge layer detect yeah. query parameters and send them to Cloudinary, right? Like imagine yeah. that yeah. you wanna you're you're experimenting with with bundling, right? And you wanna bundle, create different bundles for different um, devices, right? Now you can run a little edge handler that that does the user agent based device detection and 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 chooses to route to the right bundle based on that, right? Mm -hmm. um, all, all of those kind of things are, are things that, that suddenly becomes possible for like framework authors and, uh, and template builders or individual developers yeah. to experiment with. So, yeah. so I also think like just, just the fact that the whole routing layer essentially becomes programmable opens up for a lot of interesting sort of out-of-the-box yeah. possibilities. And, and and some of the other use cases you put here are things like A-B testing and, inter and uh, localization, yes. which A-B yeah, testing yeah. from memory you've had for some time, but it's, it's kind of yeah, it's manual. Very, like, it's a manual process. Yeah. And it's branch-based, right? So yeah, we, have a, exactly. we have a very powerful like uh, split testing capability where you can say, start serving X percent of my site out of this branch. And then we do that, right? What we see people use that for is typically not so much for actual AP testing or experimentation, but more for their rollout processes, right? Yeah, like yeah, we, yeah. we have this big rollout coming. Let's try it with just 10% of the users and, 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 and see that everything behaves and then we'll roll it out, right? But yeah. again, for fine-grade personalization or AP testing, right, it becomes a little too heavy of a hammer to have two different branches, right? Like, yeah, for in, sure. Yeah. And there, it yeah. just becomes really interesting. And, and the internationalization, I mean, it, it linked most yeah. of the sort of static site generators you support yeah. have functionality for that, which yeah. Yeah. was generally just handled by um, URL redirects um, and yeah. Yeah. something else. But it, yeah, it enables you to be a bit more subtle with that as well. Yeah. And, and actually turning, and this is kind of where I'm leading towards you've slowly been turning static site generators and the whole ecosystem kind of almost kind of back to where they were moving away from, but making it more decoupled. And not all in one place, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And, and we do, I mean, again, it's a little bit like when, when we launch functions, some people would just like dump an express server in there and route everything there and, and start serving out a function, right? Like it's totally possible. I think with edge handlers, people will also experiment a lot with actually doing like server-side rendering at the edge yeah. and so on, right? Yeah. But I, personally, I, I, I don't like, I'm happy to, to first of all, just see what people built and, and how it works, right? But from a personal, like, what do I think is best? I tend to think that, that, that again, like, keeping the approach where we where we do the server side rendering at the build time deployed to the edge and then like keep edge handlers much more limited in scope to more being about routing decisions and transformations and not about like running running everything there i i think that will be an easier mental model for developers to work with and be productive mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And so where my original question was going, which I think is a very <laughs> short answer because I was quickly looking at the page whilst you were talking, and was that you are sort of now supporting, quote unquote, uh, WordPress, Drupal, and Sitecore, which I think I definitely know the first two, but Sitecore as well are these traditional CMSs. But I realize now you're supporting them in headless mode. So that yeah. makes yeah. Yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Not, and, and the, the back end is coming. still somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. That, that, that's yeah. still very much coming also from those communities, right? Like mm. Drupal has, the Drupal community has done a lot around what they call de- decoupled Drupal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was at the, the like, the last conference in New York, I guess, since the recent it's like, one. It's like the, the moment on. when um, when um, when Apple invited Bill Gates onto the stage. Like, <laughs> yeah. here's, the, <laughs> here's the guy who's going to save us. No. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, it, it's, it's interesting to see, right? Like the same with Sitecore, there's, a, like, there's actually a, a company called Uniform that, that had some of the early, uh, um, yeah. early developers from Sitecore that actually like, really build a company around like helping companies use Sitecore as a pure uh, headless mm-hmm, solution, mm-hmm. right? And the same in the WordPress ecosystem, we're seeing a lot of like, uh, a lot of people build with, with, with WordPress as, as just a headless API and mm-hmm. then be able to, to, to move much more freely on the, on the front end side. So that's been really interesting to see like just yeah. the, the dual movement of on the one hand, the the traditional CMS is also like Craft CMS has has built a strong Jamstack story. Ghost uh, has built yep. a strong yep. Jamstack story, and so on. Right. So seeing all of those going in that direction, um, Magnolia as well. Right. Like lots mm-hmm. of movement there. While at the same time also seeing like just the explosion of of new pure headless CMS is built with that like mentality from the ground up, like starting yeah. with Contentful yeah. and Prismic, but then also like Strappy and Sanity and Cosmic It's interesting you say that because actually in some respects, like something like Contentful and, and Strappy, they're kind of effectively the same thing. You know, the behind the scenes that what content <laughs> editors work with is not too dissimilar from someone. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, no. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and okay. some of the some of the things that are getting really interesting in that space is the is that some of those tools now I think are really starting to actually push the content editor experience beyond what we've seen mm. in traditional mm. CMSs, right? Like Sanity's uh, um, Studio um, is is really interesting. Like the work they just launched with like real time like diffing of of content. Like as you're editing, you can oh, really? see what others are, are are doing. Like it's full like um, full real-time editing of, of structured content in collaborative mode and so on, a bit like what you get from, from Google Docs in unstructured content, but for structured content, right? Like, I hadn't heard that, of that. That's, added that's, really, that's really like <laughs> impressive and interesting, right? And, and some of the things you see from StackBit, for example, that like if you go to jamstack.new and just start a project from there, you'll, you'll, you can immediately get... A site with, with, for example, like a, a sanity as a backend and uh, what do you know, Next as a site generator, uh, Git, a GitHub repository and a whole build process, but with Sanity Studio in front, so you get like a, a live editor on the page where you can like just like, you know, click an element, uh, edit it with live preview. Uh, okay. And when you hit save, they're smart enough to know that, oh, this is like a sanity content element we'll send this save back to sanity and it'll trigger rebuild and everything right like seeing all of that come together is really it's really interesting right there's still a lot of 
innovation happening in this space also for the content editors. Yeah. I, I would like to come to JamstackCon and some of that ecosystem in a minute. Yeah. I just have one more question sort of specifically around Netlify itself, which was uh, build plugins, which has yeah. been around for yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah. But now it has been around for a little while and you made a few yeah. announcements at um, yeah. Yeah. JamstackConf. Just... Yeah. Yeah, because it's one of those sorts of things. When I looked at it, I thought this is really useful. And then I yeah. I must admit, personally, I struggled to think where would I do this versus like a GitHub action or yeah. a CI pipeline and that kind of thing. So what's some yeah. of the, 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 the plugins that people have created and how do they fit into people's workflows? Yeah, I mean, they, build plugins has, has, has been a, a big success for us with like... Uh, double-digit percentage of all builds now using plugins, right? Like, um, and um, and we're seeing a lot of different categories. Of course, there's like sort of the one interesting part is is the framework-specific ones, like the Gatsby plugin, and there's like mm-hmm. a Next plugin coming. There's like and like different ones of those where by installing that plugin, we can customize the build to that site generator, right? So like just automatically be sure to cache the right directories between yeah. builds and so on in, integrate the right things right like um so that's like one one set that's that's that that are really uh, interesting um then there's a whole set around different forms of like um of testing essentially right like uh, the lighthouse plugin has been mm-hmm. really popular right like in and and we've especially seen the the ui installs being really popular right like the fact that you can just go in and click a button and say at Lighthouse, and now you get Lighthouse testing, right? The same with accessibility testing and plugins. Okay. Oh, like, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. The same with plugins like um, like the Sentry plugin, where there you do have to like at least put in a, a, a few environment variables, right? But outside of that, you just like put in the plugin, and now it'll start um, sending after the build your your source maps to Sentry, um, plus the deploy notification. So when you start getting an, an, an error in your JavaScript uh, detected in users' browsers, Sentry will be able to correlate it to a source map and, um, and, and show you which deploy introduced that error, right? Like, and all of that is, is basically just like UI installable, right? Uh, the Algolia plugin is really, it's really exciting as well, right? Like where you can essentially just like set up everything you need for search and indexing just by, just by installing a plugin. Mm. <coughs> so, would the division, I guess, be somewhat? Say you have your GitHub workflow that's triggering Netlify builds. Anything yeah. kind of relevant to a pre-build, probably do there and in the old traditional way. And anything for content that is sort of live and served and people are using is where Netlify build plugins come in. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is also just down to convenience, right? Like, oh, yeah. if if you can get a functionality just by clicking a button, then do it. <laughs> like, you just saved yourself a lot of time as a developer, right? Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> what would be my most basic argument? All right, so let's let's come to Jamstack Conf. Um, that yeah. was yeah, also a week ago. Pretty much everything was a week ago that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, You've already mentioned a few of the things that excited you, but was there, I mean, obviously a lot of the talks were pre-chosen and pre-prepared, so you kind of knew what was coming, but were <laughs> yeah, there any kind yeah. of themes or discussions that um, um, made you think this is a really exciting space to be or things that took you by surprise that people showed? 
Um, I mean, I always get super excited by all all the all the lightning launches. Just seeing mm. like what other peoples are, are building in the space and bringing bringing to customers. Um, I I love seeing all the little gem snacks from the different framework authors. We like we we got all the different frameworks to sort of record a little two minute like video and just seeing seeing again like the whole vibrancy in that whole ecosystem from like larger players like Next or Gatsby to the innovation happening around like Eleven T or or even Chris Biscotti's yeah. Toasts, which is which which is still a very like new project, but 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 just one that I think is really interesting, like taking like the at at JavaScript based environment, but making the actual tool that builds it based on uh, on Rust to get like all the the, the capabilities and performance yeah. there, while still having developers work in a, in a JavaScript based setting. I think there's a lot of interesting opportunities in in going that direction. But still early, right? Yeah, some so all of those things are always things that 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 gets me gets me really excited because I had a fun talk with uh, Matt from 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 WordPress as well <laughs> and, and of course it's just like an an exciting thing that 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 the Jamstack has gained this momentum where where people like that feel like they 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 need to address it right like um, that's uh, that that's been that's been really positive to see um, and uh, and then of course, we are always really excited to see what, like, the interactions and the feedback on 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 the things we are building and that we have on our roadmap, and also in seeing like customers like Teespring or ACLU and so on build yep. build really exciting projects and 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 tell real world stories around this being um, being used in the world. And do you still feel like this um, the Jamstack space? And you've already mentioned a couple of interesting projects that you could consider at least partial competitors to what you do but yeah. it still seems that the the space is is relatively uh okay with that and there's still enough kind of interest to for everybody <laughs> I mean, competition oh, you... is also healthy right like yeah. any yeah. any any really vibrant re- healthy space will 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 have competition right like and and that sure goes from for for this space as well right we have plenty of of different types of competitors out there um but um but in in a certain way i would be a lot more worried if that wasn't the case right like yes, uh, i think it's, it's, just it's, a, it's just a site <laughs> that the that that the category is is really advancing and both new small players are, are looking in our direction and the traditional big cloud players are are starting to take it like very seriously, right? Like which, yeah, which, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. which I think it's just a, a, a sign that that this is a very real phenomenon and that it's uh, that that it's going to play a, a really important future a part in the future of the web. You've given me a perfect in to ask. So, what's the plan for the next six months? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll keep trying to. Um, to sort of push the 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 boundaries for what you can do with this architecture, from like a, an architecture and platform specific standpoint, right? Like we we've always been fairly conscious of not ourselves like uh, championing like a very specific framework, right? Like we feel like there's a lot of different 
paths there and there's a lot of innovation there. We want to encourage all of that innovation and we want to give businesses a place where they can run all their Jamstack projects across all these different um, tools and frameworks. But where we're really like thinking is always like, how can we give these framework authors and the developers new primitives to, to build on and, and, to, and, and to solve real problems with, right? So things like edge handlers, background function, uh, we will be introducing um, scheduled tasks as well for like both scheduled okay. functions like cron jobs uh, and so on or scheduled builds <laughs> as well, right? I personally um, need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we have some other uh, big pieces uh, of, 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 of primitives on the roadmap that, uh, that, that it's still a little early to, to talk about, but that, yeah. uh, that I'm also uh -huh. very excited about taking to market. That would be super cool. Currently, I'm, I'm playing with, I have a, a scheduled job to aggregate um, posts from various places onto my Netlify hosted yeah. website. Nice. And at nice. the moment, I'm just running it locally. And I was yeah. thinking, I guess I'll put it on Heroku or something like that. But, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure we get you an early, er, 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 a better invite when, when we're ready to add some testing to that. <laughs> I need to do a few things first. It's using some heavily customized um, uh, Ruby gems at the moment that I don't think would even run anywhere at the moment. So I need to fix those so, first. So. <laughs> so we are actually, I, I should say, we're just about to introduce Ruby as a runtime for our uh, uh, Netlify functions as well. So oh, we might be able to even run them in a in a background it's function. It's just because I'm still using Jekyll. I, I'm still <laughs> using Jekyll and really yeah. pushed it to the limits, but I just can't be bothered moving it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really starting to uh, creak at the seams with, with what I'm doing. So that's yeah. like, um, I just don't have the, I barely have the time to keep it up to date, let alone migrate it. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's actually been kind of fun. I need to document what I've been doing. I have a whole bunch of weird stuff going on now with Zapier and and uh, Git and RSS feeds. RSS feeds are still very powerful. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> are. Like they that. are. So, yeah. Never underestimate cool. the power of an RSS feed. <laughs> no, no. I, I when I can't find one on a website, I'm always very disappointed because then I can't look <laughs> yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah. so, maybe that's why they do it. But anyway, so. so um, for anyone who missed Jamstack, there's jamstackconf.com. I'd also suggest as a good um, introductory um, in, there's a post on your blog about the winners of the Jammies as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which just, I, I, actually, no, you do have, ah, oh, the prize was a pair of jammy pants. I'm glad to be the... <laughs> The connection was made there. Yes. That seemed, it seemed too obvious to me. Excellent. That's pajamas, in case anyone is wondering what on earth we're talking about. Um, there's a good list of, of some interesting projects there. Uh, actually, I'm particularly interested in looking at uh, Lunch Money. Um, cool. We used to use YNAB, You Need a Budget, years ago, and then moved away to something else. Um, but uh, it's always nice to see some other options in that space. So, yeah, have a look at that post as well for some, some good roundups. But... Um, yeah, once again, thanks for coming and uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. That was my interview with Matt Billman from Netlify. Hope you enjoyed that. Okay, updates, updates, updates. Um, I've actually published a lot of the uh, live D&D &D live streams I've been participating in as a player and also as a DM on my website and Quick Test Dummies Twitch channel. Um, I recently finished up uh, Kubeflow and 
um, Code Lobster on the Expose live feed. It's like a, that needs to be updated there on the website. I have been continuing with the Solo Adventurer um, and Alone Against the Flames. I'll be doing uh, another part of that tomorrow. And um, what else? Oh, yes, we did a Hacktoberfest doc special with me, Lorna Jane, and uh, Deborah Starfalls. And have a look at that. Watching us live, just blundering around, trying to figure things out whilst talking to a camera. Um, and episode two, again, it's not on the website yet, but you can find it on the anchor page here. Episode two of Stories About People is live. Uh, episode two of Board Game Jerk is also live, which you can also find at boardgamejerk.com. So lots of new things live there. I'm still doing a lot of uh, overhauling behind the scenes on my website. It's coming together slowly, getting there. Um, what else? Uh, I'll have a few new blog posts soon, actually. There's a new post, a couple of new posts from me on the Humanitech blog. Um, and I'm actually doing some talks. I'm finally getting my stuff in gear to do some uh, online conferences, um, presenting at online conferences in December. So there's a couple coming up there for me. But keep an eye on my events page for that. Thank you very much for joining me, whether you joined on a video or an audio. If you uh, enjoy what you hear or see, please subscribe to the podcast. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, you can find out more about me at christianchiller.com. Please rate, review, share if you like this. Uh, I am very, very nearly done overhauling my newsletters. So my weekly squeak newsletter that accompanies this podcast and video We'll be having an overhaul soon. Uh, and I'll also be adding some topic, automated topic newsletters um, from other content that sometimes I come across. And that will be coming very, very soon. I'm migrating them back to MailChimp, actually, and getting the templates in process and stuff like that. So watch out for that. But uh, once again, I'll see you next week. And uh, thank you for joining me. <laughs>